Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Isaiah Thomas to the hole! Isaiah Thomas is a machine! Joel, his first bucket of the second half. He wants another one from three, and down it goes! Joel Embiid, give him 19 points! The big guy says, let me hear you! Hello and welcome to the Double Clutch Podcast. I'm Mike Miller and as usual I'm joined again by Joe Holbert. How's it going Joe? Hi there Mike. Yeah, good thank you. Good. Excellent. Good to hear. We're going to have a, got some good things to discuss today and once again to join in those discussions from over the, all the way across the pond, Mr. Jamie Oppenheim. Thanks for letting me butcher the English language again. I appreciate it. Well, you guys have been butchering it for centuries now, so <laughs> what's, what's a couple more weeks of it, eh? Fair enough. It's, so is this the most uh you know t- two weeks on the pod is this the most success for uh, anything nets related in the past decade oh my god <laughs> <laughs> just brooklyn nets related not for you personally wow. i imagine you've had much greater successes than the nets um, um <laughs> I-, I would say that this would constitute the most successful run sports wise i've had um since the nets went to the finals back-to-back years so yes Definitely the last decade then. Come out. I'm coming out guns blazing today. Um, okay, uh, so we got some news today. Uh, the NBA officially announced that the uh, the London game on, on January 11th will be between uh, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Boston Celtics. Um, it was originally reported by Steve Bullpit of the Boston Globe all the way back on the 12th of July in the middle of Summer League, uh, but nothing was confirmed officially, even though people like our friend, uh, friend of the show, Benny Bonzu, who was out in Africa last week for NBA Africa, uh, managed to get Joel Embiid and Jalen Brown both confirming they were looking forward to coming to London. Um, two good teams. Joe, you excited to see this? Yeah, I am. I think from a sort of marketing perspective, it's a good matchup because you've got the traditional powerhouse. I would imagine, if if this is a rough guess, I bet you the most supported team in this country is probably the Celtics. And if they're not first, they're probably second or third. So that's good for that reason. That's going to bring people out. People will have heard of them as well. I think when the Pacers and Nuggets came over, your average person wouldn't have heard of either of them. And then you've got the Sixers, a very marketable young team. And I imagine that if people haven't chosen an NBA team yet, I would imagine the Sixers are going to be um, right at the top of their list after watching them play in London this year. Yeah, I'm really excited for this matchup. It feels that we've got uh, certainly the the most competitive sort of two two sides that we've had in in previous years. And I say that realizing that, that Philadelphia have have just come off historically bad years and, and are only sort of just sort of limping back to relevance. Um, Jamie, this sort of matchup in London from from an American's perspective, what does it say about the NBA's approach to to a global game? I mean, this feels pretty serious, right? Um, Boston, obviously one of the cornerstone franchises in the NBA, along with the Knicks and, and the Lakers. Um, and then you have Philadelphia, the up-and-coming team. So um, they, they've sent the Nets over. Um, they sent the Raptors over when they were kind of middling. Now we're starting to see bigger names, star potential. So um, they're, they're really ramping up efforts to become a global entity, and, and this is how you do it. Yeah, I, I've said before on this pod that Christmas for me is not in December. It's <laughs> it's in January because I, I book the whole week off and go and get involved in as, as many events as I can. And I know that you were, uh, you were at some of the events this year. I mean, is it just a spectacle though? Or is this something that can actually develop? I think that there's more that they can do. Um, I think at the moment it's something that looks good on paper uh, it's something you want to crow about and does make you more visible. It gets people talking about the league. Um, but the one thing I noticed when I was over there hanging out with you and the rest of the crew was that a lot of it seemed to be sort of selling London and the UK to NBA players instead of selling basketball and the NBA to people in London and the UK, if that makes sense. I was I was kind of surprised that we didn't see more events surrounding the game. Um, I don't know necessarily what shape that might take. Uh, it could be like a dunk contest somewhere public, like Trafalgar Square. 
um, anything though that kind of it makes the sport more accessible, which is something I would like to see the NBA do more of, uh, especially in the UK, because people are ready for it. Um, I, I don't know. What did you guys think um, in recent years, though? Did you think that get the impression that the NBA really cared about you as a fan and said, look, we're here for you. We care. We're trying to get the game to you. Did, did you guys get that sense from them? Uh, not, not personally. I do see it as just a corporate event. I've, I obviously haven't been to the event, but I know a lot of people who have, and it's, it, it does seem to be very much a sort of, maybe, maybe less so last year, but a few years ago, I had a couple of friends who went, and they said it was kind of like a black tie event. You know where people who weren't basketball fans turned up, and I think that is the first problem. But I don't know if you'd be able to get a game over here without it being corporate, if that makes sense. But I think, you know, you, you'll, I think Jamie, me, and you are on the same page. They need to do more for the fans. Whereas I think this event, they do a lot for for the TV companies, for advertising companies, for shoe companies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I don't think that there's enough events to appeal to fans so you know a lot of people on twitter are very excited about the london game i'm excited for the game but not the event if that makes sense i don't see this game as any different to me watching you know minnesota against milwaukee on a tuesday night at some stupid time i don't see a difference from a personal perspective for me, I, I I love going to it. Uh, I've been a few times now and and never failed to enjoy myself. But that's because I'm a basketball fan, I guess. It is kind of weird when people root for overtime because there's no sort of uh, team bias really, or or it's diluted significantly. Uh, that I completely get where you're coming from as well. There are there are events that go on during the week. Um, Tiso had signings last year. Um, in London, again, it's all going to be London focused because that's where the game is. Uh, Nike launched Paul George's shoe down in uh, Brixton. Adidas had uh, a Pro Direct event with um, the Manimal Kenneth Reed, uh, as well as I'm trying to think who else turned up to that. There's a few other people. Ronnie Turi have some legends, things like that. People like Marcus Camby were in town. If anyone remembers him, it, it was great to spend some time sitting down talking to him. But what I found is that the fan events, because they they even had a 2K event in uh, Trafalgar Square, which uh, Simon was involved, Simon Hosanna, who who emceed the the game. Um, the difficulty I found with with these events, though, is that they're only advertised in in sort of like the late hours the night before in the morning of, and and so unless you are, you know, happen to be already in London with nothing on on your schedule for the day you're not going to get to these things. And I think they're missing out on a huge um, number of fans who would make the effort to, to travel across the country. Because I know guys who've travelled down from sort of Northampton way to come all the way down just for, not even for the game, just for one of the, the sort of pre, pre-events. And so many more people would be willing to do that. And I think that's where we're missing out on on how we can really sort of cement and... and you know, the NBA into sort of the mindset of the of the general population here. I think I think if you see people with good attendance at these events, then then more people will want to get interested. They want to see what's going on. Whereas if there's only just a few people milling around, um, I, I don't think it has the same effect. Yeah, and I think you're making a good point there in terms of making it a spectacle. If you're just sort of a, a casual sports fan in England and you see a shoe release, it's not really that exciting. Even if you do care about basketball more uh, pointedly, if you don't really have any thoughts about basketball yet, but if you see like a big event that's showcasing the dynamic athletes that are in the NBA that do play basketball and how exciting the sport is, I I feel like the NBA could probably do better business in the UK, Uh, not just for that week, but over the the broader picture that we're looking at here. I mean – Joe, I know you're you're further away from London than Mike is, and Kent, you're up in the Northwest. I mean, what what do you think it might take to get you down to London, let's say, to spend two or three days at the M- all these events that the NBA is doing? What would they have to do? Um, I'd like to see more accessibility to players. You know, I mm-hmm. the manimal like the manimal event. I didn't know that happened, but. I I think they need to do more of that. I think you've got to bring marketable players over. The problem they've had is, and I don't mean this to disrespect Nuggets or um, Pacers fans from last year, 
I don't think many of those guys are marketable because even Paul George, I don't think many will know who he is um, over here. I think guys like Isaiah Thomas and maybe Joel Embiid because people are starting to know those players a little bit more. They basically need to get the biggest names over here, mm-hmm. I think, to drag more and more people out. I mean, for me personally, because I'm such because I've been watching basketball for so long, they could bring over pretty much any player and I'd go and see them. But it's all about what Mike said. They need to, it needs to be more planned. I kind of feel like they just put it together very quickly. And they, and I also, this is another, I don't want to go on a rant, but they, they only open it up to a very exclusive group of people. And I've got, I've got a big problem with that because I'm going to use an example. I watched one of the press conferences last year and there was someone asking a question to, I think it might have been Nate McMillan. And no, no offence to the guy, I'm not going to name drop, but it was one of the worst questions I've ever seen. And and in fairness, it'd be like if you stuck me at a rugby union event. I wouldn't know what the hell I'm talking about. I wouldn't know what to ask. And this is my problem. They open it up to people who I don't think are necessarily qualified, but they are in that elite group. So I think they've got to do more to involve basketball journalists because... You know, I, I know you, Mike. I know you were. Um, you, you were around. I think it was either you or Matt was around some people who just they weren't basketball fans. They weren't basketball people. They were asking really like just weird questions, and I that's my biggest problem with it. I think it's too corporate, and I think there's only a very narrow. They focus on a narrow group of people, and that's not a good way to market. I I wonder whether some of it is because the mainstream media are sort of relied upon essentially to to take this sport to the masses and yet they themselves don't have specialist basketball interest essentially or there's no there's no full-time NBA because there's not the sort of NBA coverage because there's not the consistent requirement for one and then when this job comes up each year there isn't a you know a, a mainstream a guy from the mainstream press who who isn't you know a basketball addict going to these things i think that doesn't help because it just almost in in the reporting of it seems insincere if that makes sense and and, and people just if there's not if it's ingenuine people people aren't going to buy into it um, it's insulting to the players as well to an extent because you these players aren't stupid you know they get asked testing questions when they're in america and I'm not being funny, and this is another slight rant, but do you guys, you probably don't have a, a strong opinion, but do you guys hate it when they constantly ask the players what they think of London? <laughs> okay. like they, they, they must get asked that about a hundred times during the trip. And I, I really don't think questions like that help. I, you know, what they, yeah, what I completely they agree. Say? What are they going to say? Like, no, it's a dump. Like, they're going to say, yeah, it's a nice place. And it's just... To me, asking questions like that just isn't the way. I think you've got to. They need to get specialists, and you don't. They don't have to be paid guys. You can go. You know, I consider anyone who works for Double Clutch a specialist in this subject. You get any of them. There are specialist guys at plenty of other organisations. ESPN UK have a half decent team as well. You've got people like Mark Deeks as well. There are there are really qualified people. I, that's my main issue with these events is that they don't open it up to everyone. I think that's their biggest flaw. So you're not a big fan of the have you tried a cup of tea and a cream scone questions? Yeah, it, Who asks an athlete if they've it, enjoyed a nice cream scone <laughs> before a game? <laughs> yeah, it it's and it make it kind of makes the country look bad because it makes us seem kind of like really superficial and like we don't really care. It it must be irritating to get asked that over and over again. Do you, do you think this is because it's still a, a spectacle and because it is still such a, an alien sport to to the mainstream that the only way they can sort of get around it is to ask these. I mean, for the players, it must be yeah a little bit jokey and light hearted, but it's the generally the first time they hear it. Um, so maybe it's new to them, but when you hear it year after year, it does sort of get a bit tedious for me. It's, yeah, it's, I think I can imagine these players, you know, and here's the thing. So obviously someone who's only been a basketball fan for a year isn't one going to, they're not going to want to hear about tactics and all that. I'm not saying that you need to go into, you know, ultra high def on and high detail on systems and that when you're asking these questions. But I think, the way I see it from the outside is, and I've not been to it, so my opinion isn't as valid as maybe some people have, but I sometimes feel it's not taken seriously enough by certain people. 
and that is why we need to get I mean, we need to get like die-hard fans at these events and as many of them as possible so like I'll give you an example I'm I'm into the NFL as well and every year I get asked to um to go to the press conferences of the NFL London teams that come over I am going to go this year but basically my friends who have been my friends in the business who have been to these press conferences, so one went to the Indianapolis Colts one last year, they said it was like a proper serious press conference. And I went to the London game this year, and it was the best organised event I have ever been to. Like, it was full of diehard fans, it was great, it was very Americanized, and I actually think the NBA could look at the NFL UK and kind of think, we need to take some leaves out of their book, because when I compare the events, I just think there's a there's light years between them. I, I, I think that's a good point. And like, I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't want to sound ungrateful at all because I absolutely love the fact that we get an NBA game. Like I said, it's my Christmas. It's what I get excited for. <laughs> it's probably what's going to keep me excited for the next six months. Um, for, but I agree. Like, I, I don't think there's enough fan things. I, I haven't been to the NFL to London game in about 10 years. But even then when I went, there was still sort of... Uh, tailgate parties and things like that that were put on and, and it just didn't seem to be the same thing and maybe it's because the O2's smaller um, but, but I just think there, there could be more there uh, more sort of, even for the people who can't get in, there could be more spectacle for them to just come and enjoy and watch it on a screen somewhere, you know like, like you see the Toronto Raptors during the playoffs, they have outside the, the arena, the, they have the big screen that all the public sort of get around it'd be great to just have that sort of event for people to get into yeah the nfl take over regent street i don't i don't know london very well but apparently regent street is quite like a a notable place and the nfl during that week they take it over and they get all the coaches out of the teams that are over they get they they don't just i think with some events teams try and send like you know their third choice kicker or something but they get all the big marketable players out and they do some really cool interviews as well um, and you don't hear them asked oh do you like tea or whatever you know it's it's a bit more it's not as much of a, a facade I think it's taken more seriously I think that's that's what you've got to do like the NBA only need to look at the NFL in terms of how to put a better event on and shout out to MLB as well they've done some great events lately in London well, they've just done that Hyde Park thing, haven't they? Um, yeah. I, I didn't yeah, see they, it, but I heard of it, and it's, that was supposed to be good. Yeah, I think I think the other thing as well, and the, the key with the NFL and the MLB, is they've got some really good personalities involved. So Colin Murray, if you guys know the mm-hmm. TV, Northern Irish TV presenter, he's, um, he's very involved in MLB. Then with the NFL, you've got people like Neil Reynolds, Nat Coombs, um, they got Mark Chapman as well from the BBC helping them out now. So I think that's the next step. We need to try and find people who are quite notable in this country who like who like the NBA. There's bound to be some. You know, the chances are there's going to be. And I think I think that's the next step they've got to take. They've got to get the right people involved in this. Was that the answer you were expecting, Jamie? <laughs> Actually, I mean, that was, that was really well thought out. Um, not that I expect anything less from you guys, but... Um, that conversation kind of went into a more professional discussion. And I do think that that is something that needs to be considered by both parties on this one, both the NBA and outlets in the UK. And I, and I do think Double Clutch, The Drop, and other similar entities are super important to growing the sport over there. Um, I don't know how familiar, I mean, Mike, you're not going to know Men and Blazers. Joe, I don't know if these guys are are relevant yeah, in yeah, England. I- but they're a oh yeah definitely right. They're a big part of soccer culture in the United States, and and they they started with a podcast. Obviously, they have bigger backgrounds than that. But f- for that kind of media entity and media property property to be so woven into the fabric of a sport, it's really impressive, and it turned it's turned into a really important community aspect. So, um, if both parties can kind of find that that kind of Person, I don't know if it's personality or what it is, but to help grow the sport, it's 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 definitely going to help. So you guys are 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 bringing an important point to the table here. So back back to the game itself, because I'm conscious we could talk about this for days. Yeah. Um, what you know, obviously you've got the the last season's number one team in the East for the regular season. I feel like I've got to keep putting caveats on the end of that. Um, 
against th- these upstarts. What are the realistic expectations for the 76ers this year? Does anyone see them being a, a worthy opponent? Or is this just a team where looks good on paper, but it's never going to be able to hold together for 50 games? My opinion on them is I think they're going to be very, very good defensively. I think they've got a lot of length. They've got Covington and Simmons who can switch. You've got Embiid who might honestly already be one of the elite inside defenders in the league. I think they're going to struggle creating in the half court. That I mean, I'm a Timberwolves fan, so I know that it's frustrating to watch these young players not necessarily be able to be great creators from day one. I think they obviously could be great in transition. But I think I would get. I think they're going to be top ten in defensive efficiency. They're probably going to be lower middle in offensive efficiency. And no disrespect to the East, that might be enough for the playoffs in the East. But I think a lot. Yeah, some are seeing them as like a top four seed. I think that's a bit extreme. I don't think they're better than the Celtics, Cavs, Wizards, or Raptors for starters. And then you've got like the Hornets and the Heat as well. I don't think they're as good as any of them. But a play a playoff spot is definitely realistic, and I think that should be the aim for them. Jamie, yeah, I th- I think Joe's hitting on the head there. Um, as long as their big guys are healthy, uh, not just their size guys, their their important players are healthy. This is definitely a playoff team. Um, I mean, from December 30th to the end of January last year, when Embiid got hurt, they were 11 and five. They were playing not just good basketball for what we've seen of the Sixers. They were playing legitimately good basketball league wide. Um, they were turning into one of the best stories, if not the best story in the NBA last year. Um, obviously the upside is there. It's through the roof. This is a team that again provided they're healthy 50 wins not out of the question this year yeah i i love the way that um the nba has it certainly in the, for the last three games they've managed to pit okay i've got to caveat that as well in a second but <laughs> they've managed to pit a an established power with a legitimate all-star with a an up-and-coming talent that's sort of on the rise and i think they've done it again now but it's just you know, tenfold better because of the number of names in there. So we had uh, the the Bucks versus the Knicks a few years ago. So I was caveat and caveating the Knicks by saying they're an established force because they they haven't made any anything decent since 2011. Um, they had Melo. The Bucks had Antetokounmpo. Next year it was the Magic, who again caveat aren't really that up and coming, are they? They 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 failed to rise uh, to their to their expectations. So you have Aaron Gordon there against Toronto, which had. Uh, Carl Lowry and Tamar DeRozan. Then last year we had Jokic for the Nuggets, who's broken out into a, a, you know, there were talks, there was MVP talks at the end of last year, small but still there. Uh, and the Pacers with with Paul George, who's now obviously with the uh, the Thunder, but he's a league wide star. And now we've got, well, you, you've got Thomas Hayward, Horford, you've got Tatum as a rookie, and then on the other end of things you've got Embiid, you've got Ben Simmons. Um, Markel Fultz. There's there's a lot of names here of guys that who are established talents and you know or or projected future talents. Is is anyone else just sort of like getting really excited about that the prospect of of seeing these guys take the floor, even if it's only in one game on one night in the middle of January? That's a lot of talent, especially for a global game. So I mean, if you look at the games in, in Mexico. Um, yes, there's Russell Westbrook, but I mean nobody cares about Nets versus Bulls. Um, so you, when you compare it to that, I mean if you're in the UK and even if you don't like these teams, you're excited because you're seeing some of the best players that the league has to offer. Are you? Do you, do you think that we could be witnessing something significant in terms of the the narrative between Tatum and Fultz being? Trade essentially the picks being traded for one another, both hitting rookie seasons, um, both with very high projected ceilings. Do you th- do you think we could be witness to a very very early rivalry at all, Joe? Um, see, I'm a big believer that coaches and players make the rivalry, and I obviously Brad Stevens isn't going to have a rivalry of anyone. I don't know. It's going to happen on Twitter because that's what all NBA beef is these days. I I can't see any players on these teams really clashing. So 
maybe not in terms of a hated rivalry, but you've got to think in the future because obviously Boston have more picks coming their way, not just the Nets one. They've got a Kings pick as well, I believe. And um, mm-hmm. I think they might have a Sixers pick. I'm not, don't hold me to that, but they've got more picks. So you've got to think these two teams are going to be at the top of the Eastern Conference in two or three years, maybe even like one if LeBron James does join the West next summer. So, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. This is a very marketable game for like multiple reasons because I actually think the fact they're the East Coast help as well. I think generally, if you look at UK fans, they generally choose East Coast teams because of the time difference. So, yeah, probably the best case scenario, to be honest, this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, so we can't talk about it all evening, though, because, uh, well, no, we can talk about it all <laughs> evening, but we're not going to. Uh, so the Philadelphia 76ers will host the Boston Celtics at the O2 on January the 11th. You can sign up for early access to tickets, because I know that's been an issue in previous years, uh, exclusive offers, and the latest team news. Go to www.mba.com slash London. I went and registered today because I do not want to miss out on tickets, because I've managed to get six to the past couple of seasons and, and gone with family and it's just a, a great night. Um, but I don't need to tell anyone that because it's going to sell out anyway and I'm just creating competition for, for my tickets. So um, we'll leave that behind quickly and move on to some more news that came out today that uh, came through our... What is it even we're all now on? We've, we've ditched WhatsApp Slack. now. We're now on Slack. Um, so <laughs> whatever that means. Uh, so we're now on Slack and we keep... We have this sort of group chat between probably about uh, 15 of us. Um, And we were greeted this morning by the sight of the latest Nike Team Uni. And it was was Joe's Minnesota Timberwolves. Joe, what's your reaction to those wonderful kits? So I, I saw the leak last night and I went to bed and I was like, no, that that can't be real because you know it just it didn't make sense to me. What I thought, someone actually posted a screenshot from Two K, and my thinking was, and this is how bad these uniforms are. I thought it was just kind of like they didn't know what the uniform was, so they basically just wrote like wolves on a random <laughs> on a random T shirt. And then I woke up this morning to the notification. I just, it's god awful. Like the I like our badge. Our new badge is great. It's really good. They got rid of that sh- those stupid trees they had on the old one. They just looked awful. You didn't like the trees. Thing... <gasps> oh. No, I didn't. I didn't like. I I wasn't a huge fan of the of the trees. I was hoping they'd go back to the sort of I don't I don't know what the right word is. I'm going to call it iced writing they had in the KG days. Yeah. Where it was like it, you know, had that sort of cold style. But it, it looks like something. Where I scroll on Twitter, it looks like a like. Team Sky Tour de France uniform. It's just awful. Jamie, with your thoughts on it? Um, that, their basketball jerseys. It's got Minnesota. It's got Timberwolves. Uh, what, what more do you need? I don't understand what the issue is here. <laughs> Am I the only one who doesn't care? Well, that's the thing. I usually don't. I use like what people are always talking about. Uh, Denver uniforms. This Toronto. This. I usually don't care. But it's just, it doesn't look like a basketball uniform. That's my problem with it. I mean, that, it, that, that's a fair complaint. It doesn't complaint, look right. But, I mean, I'm just kind of stunned by the Twitter reaction to all of this. I mean, does it, am I, I feel like the only person who doesn't care about uniforms and jerseys and whatever else. Mike, where are you on this? I, I love jerseys. Um, I think there are some iconic jerseys and that the... Uh, the switch to Nike was an opportunity to to really sort of create some new iconic ones, uh, and I I I think the Minnesota jersey is probably the worst one I've seen that's come out. Um, I, I'm going to caveat that actually the the lime green one that I'm assuming is is not going to be the the home or the road one. I can't remember their new marketing names, uh, but it's going to be one of the alternatives. I I saw that and I just went, you you can't be serious. <laughs> It, it looks like you're going to go for a jog in the middle of winter at night. It's, uh, but I'm not. I'm not a big fan of bright colours anyway. But you've got you, you, you're you've got to be a fan of of iconic jerseys. You're a Nets fan, so the last time they were any good was when they had a Doctor J jersey. Yeah, I mean those are cool, and, and I like paying homage to that to that team. And I get it from like the um, the um, the sentimental value out of it, but I th- like. 
I, I don't care what the Nets uniforms look like this year. I just don't like, it's just not a thing that, that matters to me. As long as we're not doing those awful cloud uniforms that we had in the nineties. Um, to me, <laughs> they were brilliant. Nothing, oh, <laughs> I mean, are you, are you waiting excited for the Blazers uniform reveal? Have they done their reveal yet? They, they've done it. Um, they've tweaked the, they, they've got rid of the italics. <laughs> if anyone cares <laughs> um no it's not a big i don't think there's a big transition for a lot of teams from what was already there uh this minnesota one is a, is a huge rebrand and i just think they've kind of that's fair. kind of whiffed a little bit on it um it's it's not so it might be one that grows on me who knows uh i also wasn't a big fan of the the calves uh what do they want to call it burgundy or wine red sort of look I, I don't know it just didn't hit the mark for me um but a lot of the other stuff I've seen even if it's just uh rehashing what the previous jersey was I think they've the little tweaks they made really make the jerseys pop um I like the Kings ones the Kings ones yeah. are good and if anyone's into that they're like really eco-friendly I think they're made from like recycled bottles I I like the Kings um rebrand but yeah, I'm not a fan of ours, but I won't care about this in a week. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, can. I, t- you I can generally, t- <laughs> I'll get over it. You can tell it's the, the the off season in the NBA when people on Twitter are going crazy about jerseys, and we're filling ten minutes of podcast time with, <laughs> with talk about the colours. So let's swiftly move on from that and back to some actual basketball on court talk. Well, it's sort of on court talk. Um, there was a a memo, a league memo on Monday. Uh, around resting players and back-to-back. So the scheduling has been adjusted. Um, <clears throat> but it brings up sort of a topic of, of huge importance over the past couple of years, uh, which is star players being rested uh, for whatever reason um, and it just not giving a great image of, of the NBA. So the season this year has been brought forwards. So it's starting October the 17th. So what are we now? What's that about? 12, 13 weeks away. Um, they're basically eliminating stretches of four games in five days and 18 games in 30 days. When I read 18 games in 30 days, I kind of I went, what? It's only when sort of the numbers were put into pers- sort of out in front of me that it put it all into perspective. Um, <clears throat> according to ESPN's Brian Windhorse, there's going to be a, a redu- reduction of five games in seven nights to uh, just 40 instances across the league, which is 1.3 per team, down from 90 times last year, which was three per team. Back-to-backs are down from 14.9 per team, down to uh, sorry, down to 14.9 from 16.3. God, that's a lot of numbers. Uh, and the reduction of single ro- road game single game road trips. I really can't talk by 17 percent does it mean anything are we actually is this going to happen is this going to well not going to happen is this going to make any impact or any change at all it seems to me like 16.3 down to 14.9 it's not a huge jump 1.4 any is anyone else sort of just thinking this is it's it's what you know there's only three teams anyone cares about resting anyway i mean i think it's interesting more from the fact that the NBA is acknowledging this data and in terms of trying to take care of their players, um, I think what we're noticing here is, is two big um, sort of results of the analytical revolution that we're, that we're seeing over the last 10 years. The first one is, hey, we need to take more three-pointers. Um, and now the second one is, well, biometrically, our players could would, would do better with more rest. Now, I don't know how much we're actually going to see that as a fan in terms of improved performance, I just think it's it's a new step. This isn't the first step, and I don't know that any other league has done anything like this, where they're taking the biometrics so seriously and taking players' health so seriously. So I think that that's a good thing. It's a cool thing um, to be at the forefront of that. We've been talking about this for the last five years. So uh, in my eyes, it, it seems pretty cool. For the fan, I don't I don't really know if that's if it's really going to change anything for us though. I hope they CC Tom Thibodeau on that memo. <laughs> He's not resting anyone ever, ever. If, no. If you're if you're broken but can still run, you're running. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Like, I, I'll be honest. As a fan of a team that's probably going to make the playoffs, I do want to see more rest. Um, 
I, the only people who care about it for me, and I don't, I, I hate using the term casual fan because I think it's got negative connotations. But the only people who care about rest, in my opinion, from a fan perspective, are people who go, you know, on a Thursday night if there's Cavs against Warriors or whatever, and you know they've decided they're going to wrestle LeBron and Curry and that. Those are the only people that care are people that watch basketball like now and again. I think, I think people like I, I mean, I follow people who watch basketball every night, even if it's not their team. I don't think any of us think that negatively of rest. It it doesn't bother me. The only time it would bother me is if it was an important game down the stretch. And let's say the Cavs were playing a team we were fighting a playoff spot for. And they went, yeah, we're going to rest LeBron and Love. I'd be annoyed then. But other than that, it doesn't really bother me at all. From, for the for the fans, like not even the casual ones, though. I, I remember we had a quite a heated... Dis- well, I say heated. We... It was uh, it was a good discussion about when the Cavs rested players in Memphis, and like these these franchises are obviously putting up um, the, putting up the ticket prices when the big teams are coming to play because the star players just allow them to do that, and then they're not playing. Um, you know, people people go home disappointed. Yeah, I, I agree with that, but I think that's an organ <coughs> that's an individual organizational problem. I have no problem with them putting the tickets up, but I think there should be some kind of system where, if you know, let's say because like Memphis pretty much sell out most weeks anyway, but let's say people have just gone to see LeBron, I think they should get money back of some kind, or maybe if there's kids, they should get free jerseys, or you know, you kind of have it as a flexi ticket. So let's say um, LeBron is rested people who bought ticks for that game who don't want them anymore they can go to a later game instead there and the only problem with that is you might have the same problem again a month down the line but there's there's what there's more organizations could do to get around that i think yeah i, th- I think for me this is where we're going to find out whether or not the the resting players approach uh is actually to do with players health and not tactical um decisions by by coaches because you see like i i don't think it's going to affect greg popovich's approach to resting um <clears throat> i think now it's just going to be you, you can't hide behind the excuse of oh well, i'm doing it for the health of my players anymore it's now going to be a case of well actually i don't want to show my cards at this point in the season because we're going to meet these guys at some point in the playoffs and i want to have them you know i want to i want to be able to surprise you then do you think there's any any weight to that argument at all, Jamie? No, th- that's definitely something that we've seen in the past and that we'll continue to see going forward. We see playoff teams uh, late in the season; they'll they'll rest guys. They don't want they don't want that scouting report to get any deeper than it is currently. So, um, what can you really do though if, if you're the NBA or their teams are going to schedule rest when they want to schedule rest? We'll see what kind of punishments are coming up. Um, I think that the, the big issue, though, that the league should really keep an eye on, as Joe mentioned, is just, hey, how do you make it up to the fans who were going to a game that were expecting to see a player? I mean, in, in most cities, you only get one chance to see maybe your favorite player, Russell Westbrook, or someone like that. So you do kind of need to balance that aspect more than, hey, we've got two playoff teams in March who are resting players. I mean, at the end of the day, that's really secondary to... We've got fans who are pretty unhappy with the product. No, I, I agree. Um, and I think there are a couple of other good things to come out of this, particularly for us fans uh, here in the UK. So there's going to be an increase in weekend games from 549 to 568, which most of those games, the extra 19 games, will be on a Saturday. So it means you can watch it without having to get up and be <laughs> dog-ass tired the next day for work. Um so previously, the NBA avoided Saturdays and Sunday afternoons during the football season to dodge conflicts. Do you think they're now sort of getting to the point where the NBA is like, look at us, we are a global brand, we can take on the NFL and we think we can take their take their audience? The NBA's overtaken the NFL. I mean, this isn't NFL pod, so I'm not going to go to it, but the NFL has a lot of problems. First of all, the um, the commissioner is a bit of a crook. Is it still Goodell? Um, 
Yeah, still oh, Goodell, so there's obviously all those problems. But even forgetting him, because I don't think he's the problem. I think the whole um, sort of bureaucracy is the problem. They've got the CTE problems, for anyone who doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Basically, if your brain keeps taking hits like you do in the NFL, it breaks down and it can lead to um, increased risks of suicide and other stuff like that. It's really bad, so they do tests on people's brains. But the problem with CTE is you can only actually see it when the person's dead, which is very unfortunate so there's health concerns with the nfl i also think there's a myth that there's parity in the nfl so on the afc side uh there's been three teams that have won that since 2000 steelers uh patriots and ravens so there's a lack of parity in the nfl um i also think a lot of people are moving towards college football as well that's more entertaining if you ask me as someone who follows it so i i do think the nfl are competing with them and i also think the nfl is more sustainable as sorry the nba is more sustainable because with with the nfl now you've got parents of young kids who who don't want their kids playing football because they don't want them to have a shortened career and potentially have mental health problems after it so the nba doesn't really have those health risks so i think more parents are pushing their kids into basketball and baseball and yeah i i think if you speak to most u.s sports fans right now nfl is still bigger but if the nfl is going the wrong way the nba is going the right way i think that's general consensus yeah that that's pretty much where we are i mean nfl they are still clearly king and every other league needs to kind of mind their toes when they're walking around them but the NBA has gotten to a point, especially especially globally and with their digital platforms, like they say, okay, we're going to take it on the chin a little bit here if we go head to head, but it's not going to be the knockout it was 10 years ago. Um, as far as future health, who knows? But yeah, the NBA is now, they're in the same arena, at least with the, with the NFL. So um, I think that's a big step for the NBA. I think they're all all good points it's um it's really interesting some of the bits i've been reading around just rest and health in general whilst we're on the, on the subject there was a, an article from uh eurohoops.net uh basically it was a a, a piece on a, a guy a player called I can't even talk again a player called aaron jackson of who will be playing in the beijing ducks this year i uh, played in the euro league for seska moscow um i said that in a very american way i realized so for anyone english uh, that's moscow um and he basically was putting forward the argument that actually the way you know all this talk about rest in the nba the nba schedule actually allows them a lot more rest than the guys who have euroly commitments do as well and he put you know i thought well, you, this is this is ridiculous uh, how is that possible 82 games versus probably about 40 45 but he sort of goes through how they're they're sort of flying one day they're they're you know same as the NBA, but then they're practicing twice a day. Still, they don't get the off days in the in the in the regular season like the NBA guys do. Where they, you know as soon as the after training camp's done and the, the games start playing, effectively, unless you're a bench player and having to do conditioning, you have very limited access to to full on team scrimmages. Uh, and these guys basically, you know, play fourteen times a week is what he's trying to say. So, do you, do you think that's an accurate assessment or do you think he's he's just sort of undervaluing how much work goes into being in the NBA and, and staying healthy in the NBA? Uh, I mean, in terms of practice schedule, it does sound like the EuroLeague teams do go harder. Um, but these NBA players, I mean, they're, they're putting in work every day, even on off days, you still have shoot around. Um, they're, they're lifting weights after games they're, they're, they're putting in a lot of work and they're putting their body through a lot too. So um, I think that any professional athlete, it's, it's going to be close, especially if you're a basketball player. So I'm not going to say one league or one system is better or worse. I think that everyone's putting in a lot of work here. Okay, so let's 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 leave that behind then and go from other people trying to put in work this summer. There's still a number of free agents uh, remaining even though the, the bulk of them are assigned or the bulk of the big names are signed. Um, so I'll give you guys some homework. <laughs> um, I asked you to, to sort of come up with a couple of guys who you thought, you know, were still 
good free agents out there and, and where, where you'd like to see them go or what you'd like to see uh, happen to them. Uh, so I'm going to come to you first, Joe. Who's your pick out of the remaining free agents? So I, I think I think I'll address the big elephant in the room first, which is Nerlens Noel, before I go to my other ones later. But the market for bigs has just been awful. I remember I read an article back in January on Bleacher Report from Andy Bailey, which basically said uh, predicting big free agent contracts this summer, mm-hmm. and he had Noel getting four year, hundred million somewhere. And he's obviously not going to get that now, but I can't believe he's still available. He's right. First of all, I do think people on Twitter overrate him a bit. He he's quite a limited player offensively, but he's a great defender and he's a great fit in that Dallas team because they run a lot of pick and roll, and Rick Carlisle doesn't need his center to be able to create their own shots. So I've got to be honest, I am shocked that Dallas haven't wrapped this one up, and I, they're going to look really stupid if someone else swoops in. Like that is a. I mean, I think if they can get Noel back, I actually think they're a dark horse for a playoff spot next year. But without him, I can't see it. So a big, big conundrum for Mark Cuban to deal with. I think Noel's an interesting one. Um, I think a lot of restricted free agents... It just seems to me that, that it's being treated slightly differently this year because also Jermichael Green, who's one of my picks, falls into this category. Is that I think that because everyone spent stupid money last year and everyone has spent significant money this year on the bigger names. It's now a case of, well, we need to get really smart about this. And with these restricted free agents, we can just let them dangle there because if no one comes in and makes an offer, we don't have to match it. So we could get a discount that way. And I think I think it's a, a shrewd move by franchises like, like uh, Dallas and, and Cuban. But I think ultimately... It's not gonna, you know, get positive results because it's already causing, you know, disgruntled, upset remarks to be coming from uh, Noel himself. He wants this wrapped up. Of course he does, because the quicker he can wrap it up, the more money he can get. The longer this outstand goes on for without him getting an offer sheet, the the longer, you know, this, the the more his salary is going to go down, and this is his livelihood. Um, and I, I just think that ultimately that's not going to help build a successful team. I certainly know that when franchises have been stingy in the past historically it's always come back to bite them in in the arse at some point i mean just look at as recently as gordon hayward he got stitched on his restricted free agency by the jazz they left him out to dangle and he said it played a part although he got over it eventually it was still in the back of his mind at some point that they didn't value him enough i mean i i understand that you don't want to burn a bridge and, and ruin your relationship but at the same time these, the players have no options here. The, I feel horrible for them, for guys like Noel, Jamichael Green, Alex Lynn, I guess. Um, but what are they going to do? Even if they sign their qualifying offer this year, which makes them an unrestricted free agent next year, well, no one has cap space next year either. So we're kind of at the point where it wasn't pretty, but the way we got here wasn't pretty, but guys are going to have to start signing for what they're actually worth and not everyone can be a max contract player. So from that perspective, yeah, it stinks for guys like Noel, but tough break. You're, you're a one dimensional player. You're, you're going to get paid what you're worth now. That's the thing. Like what would you guys pay Noel a year? I think the max I'd go is like, it would have to be in the right situation. Honestly, the max I go is about 11 or 12. I just, there's some people on Twitter who think he's like a $20 million a year player. And I just, I think when you have a player like that, who is so one dimensional to have that much cap room locked up in a guy like that, is just madness. It's not even his uh, abilities on the floor necessarily. It's, it's, it's his, his ability that, yeah. to stay on the floor. He, he's played minimal, uh, you know, a, a very small amount of games over his short career already. He's missed a lot of time with quite significant lower limb injuries, and for big guys who rely on athleticism, that's that's a massive red flag. Um, it, it it makes me laugh because I'm just sat there like if someone offered me twelve million a year, <laughs> I wouldn't care. <laughs> twelve million, twenty million. If it was two million, I'd be there. Um, <laughs> I I. I think it's amazing how a year ago the NBA was, was riding high in terms of 
everyone's going to get paid. This is the start of, of of guys getting ridiculous money. And, you know, 12 months later, everyone's suddenly going, oh, no, wait a second. That that pot of gold isn't sort of exponential. It it has a, a limitation to it. And, and guys are actually now sort of scrapping around, not getting the deals they thought they were going to get. Um, I realise I'm dodging your question there, but I, I think in the right situation, maybe 15 max. And that's that's like if I was confident he could stay on the floor and become some sort of pseudo DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, I've got the same number, 15. That's ballpark, so we're about 11, 12 anyway. That's 15. 11, 12, 15, it's all the same. Um, Jamie, who who have you got? Uh, so first on my list, uh, I went a different direction than Joe here. I went with a less well-known name. I've got uh, Jordan Mickey, combo forward, who was uh, with the Celtics. He was a casualty when they had to clear space for Hayward. Um, He's a guy I'd actually like to see, Joe, in Minnesota. Um, He's not going to take Jang's minutes, um, but he's a power forward who's got upside as a three-point shooter. Um, He's long. He's super athletic. So for Thibodeau, that's the kind of project where, hey, I could turn this guy into a really devastating defender. He, he can block shots too, defend on the perimeter. And if 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 it, the light goes on offensively, this is the player that you want next to Towns. He's probably never going to become a starter, but if you get you know 15 good minutes from him off the bench, he's really going to allow Towns space uh, in the post and also keep up Minnesota's defensive intensity once they actually acquire defensive intensity. <laughs> yeah, he. I would like him, but the only issue is is that we've still got Cole Aldrich for some reason. Um, I don't know how he's still on the roster. For the record, Cole Aldrich is actually quite good, but he's earning $7 million and we should have attached the Thunder pick to get rid of him, but we've got a huge logjam in the front court. And, I, and I've and i got to be honest, I'd rather take Mickey on a minimum than, you know, Aldrich on seven or even Gorgie on what he's on as much as I like Gorgie. So he would be a good fitter. I'm, I'll be honest, I'm surprised he's still available because like, you've got every team now has a D-League and I'm surprised someone hasn't stashed him there yet. I mean, maybe, he didn't, maybe it's because he doesn't want to be in the D-League, but I would have thought someone like the maybe the Nets or the even the Knicks you know, could do with a guy like that. Yeah, all 30 teams. I mean, he's he's the kind of player, uh, he need, look, he needs to develop, yes, but all 30 teams can use a long athletic four who can shoot the three. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I wonder, again, with the D-League side of it, especially what you know with the introduction of the two-way contracts that, that have come into effect now. So what is it that's stopping teams go for him because obviously in this in this league length and athleticism and the ability to spread the floor is is what gets people paid so why why are people shying away from this guy i mean um, joe joe might have had it. it it might be him just just kind of waiting it out for the right offer uh he probably doesn't want to sign a, a two-way contract maybe there's interest from europe i don't know i don't think it's an on-court thing though okay uh well for me i went totally different to the pair of you and I think that Houston could do with picking up a backup point guard uh, well a backup guard let's say not point guard who uh, has very limited offense but can play defense and plug gaps when either Chris Paul or James Harden is off the floor and I've gone Tony Allen on the vet minimum yeah he'd, he'd fit with what they're doing because They've obviously moved away from that sort of that flawed offense threes and layups. So, and they've gone really for defensive length. I mean, could you imagine a, trying to attack a team with Chris Paul, Tony Allen? They signed Mabar Mute. Did they sign Tucker? Have I made that up? No, I think they've so got Tucker. Got, yeah, Tucker. I thought they got him as well. And then you got Capella in the middle. I mean, that's. I don't know how that team's going to score the ball, but that is a lot of defensive length. That's that's a mid nineties game score that is. <laughs> yeah, there's. I got to admit, I'm very surprised he hasn't ended up in Minnesota. You know, it's clear that the market for him isn't big. He seems like a Fibido guy. He wouldn't. I mean, I don't want him just because, like, we all because we need outside shooting ahead of anything else. But he just seems like a Tom Fibido type player. 
do you think that series with Golden State uh, a couple of years ago where uh, Bogut was literally guarding him from about, uh, well, you've got to be within th- three metres. So he was probably about 2.99 metres away from him at all times and just sort of rolling around as a help defender during the offence. Do you think that's what's killed this guy's ability to get a contract? Yeah, I mean, schematically, if you if you have a player on the floor who other teams are going, yeah, we need to let him shoot, that's a problem in the playoffs. I think he'd be a good veteran mentor, but I, I mean, I get in disagreements with people on this all the time on Twitter, but I think if you have a player that offensively useless on the floor... I don't think you can win deep into um you know deep into the postseason even in the early rounds. Yeah, I don't think he's a more than a 10 minutes a game guy and I, I'll be honest, I I think if he does join a contender, I think they'll sit him in the postseason. I really do. I just think there's more there's other defensive guys I've just named for you, Tucker and Mabamute who at least have something mm-hmm. offensively. Allen has nothing unfortunately and he's quite old as well. Yep. Do you, have you got any uh, more players you want to throw out there? Um, I've got two more down. The first one is Jason Terry. I know he's thirty nine, but he's still a good three point shooter. And I'm, and he's, whichever team he goes to, they always seem to like improve. So he's obviously a good veteran leader. I'm surprised he hasn't been signed. Um, other than that, you're really looking at older guys. I bet David Lee reject, um, regrets turning down that player option for San Antonio because he is still a free agent as well. I mean, other than that, there's there's not a lot there. You've got... I, I love Matt Barnes for, for all the wrong reasons. I'd I'd like to see him get a contract, but there's, there's not a lot on the market. Jamie, anyone else out there that, that sort of caught your eye? Well, I, I actually did have Tony Allen. I, I was giving you a, a two for one. Um, either Tony Allen or Meta World Peace to the Knicks. <laughs> to there, the Knicks? There's a team. Is this because you're a Nets fan? No. And I, <laughs> as much as I like to see Knicks fans suffer, I think they could bring the kind of mentoring, but also toughness that you're going to kind of want to instill within both Porzingis and Nilakina. Um, Nilakina, I, whatever. You guys do it better <laughs> than me. In America, we can't pronounce anything. Um, but yeah, I, I think those are the, that's the kind of player you're going to want mentoring those two players. Um, especially uh, Nilakina, just defensively, because that's, that's going to be his calling card. Is, as a perimeter defender, they do have Courtney Lee there, which is a good start, but... I think if you can bring that kind of intensity and passion and leadership into that locker room, um, that's a veteran signing that's going to make a ton of sense for the Knicks. Are you not worried that perhaps Meta World Peace would break Porzingis? Uh, a <laughs> little. He did. A, l- a little bit, yeah. Um, I, I mean, look, you don't know what you're going to get from that guy, but his name carries a ton of weight in the city, number one. So he, he comes in with a ton of respect and everyone in the city, regardless of his role on the team, is going to gravitate to him and make him more important than maybe he is. But for a young player to see that, they're going to say, yeah, I got to listen to this guy. No, I think that they're all good uh, suggestions. I also thought of guys like... I'm surprised that guys like Derek Williams and Gerald Green are still out there because they seem to be, they're never going to be decent, consistent starters, but they're guys that can every so often give you a punch off the bench. Um, I guess I guess it's just a case now of the big names have gone and everyone's just going to chill and see what, what happens towards the end of the summer before they, they start going for yeah, anyone I th- else. I think Green will get a nice deal because he's at least like an okay outside shooter. I think he shot about 35% from beyond last year. There's a few of these guys I think will get picked up late. Um, but obviously, I can't imagine NBA front offices are that active at this point. No, lots of holidays, I think. Um, <clears throat> okay, cool. Has anyone got anything else they want to, to throw out there before we leave it for today? No, no not, not that I can think of. Cool. All right. Well, just before we go, uh, we ran a competition recently to win some signed Dwayne Wade gear. And I said I'd announce the winner today on the pod. And I'm not going to lie. So the winner 
with a favourite Dwayne Wade memory uh, of the the steel and buzzer beater against the Bulls, which I think was 2009, um, is Matt Hardy. So congratulations, Matt. We'll be in touch to get your sizes, because I believe there'll be some T-shirts and we'll need your shoe size, if that's uh, giving the game away. Um, but thank you very much to Lean Ning and uh, to AliExpress and Dwayne Wade for donating stuff for us to give away. That's 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 really appreciated and for signing it. Um, <clears throat> so congratulations to Matt. If you uh, like what you like what you hear, then make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcast provider you use. Uh, rate us on iTunes as well. That always helps. And if you don't follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, you can find us. At, at, Again, on all three, at Double Clutch UK. And make sure you check out the website, which is doubleclutch.uk, which launched um, since the last pod, I think. Or no, before the last pod. But uh, that's where all our content goes up. So make sure you check it out. But uh, we'll speak to you next week. Thank you very much. <laughs>